So we're taking uh, a break from the book of Colossians this morning, um, just for one week. We'll be back in Colossians next week, and we're in Luke's Gospel. So if you have a Bible in front of you, I'm going to read two short passages that are actually very similar. Luke chapter 9, 1 to 6, and Luke chapter 10, 1 to 11. You will see the link as I read them out. So this is Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal those who were ill. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And then over the page, Luke chapter 10, a slightly larger group. This is the group of the 72 who are now sent out. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where, they, where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, for these two passages that in many ways are so similar, we just pray that you will impress onto our hearts and lives what it is you would say to us today. Holy Spirit, would you just illuminate your word to us? Help us to not just hear, but to enact what we have heard. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone being enjoying, or anyone enjoying the conference season, you know, the party political conference season? Anybody being glued to Boris or to Keir Starmer or any of those other, I, I won't say what type of speeches they were, but speeches that have been given over the last few weeks? Well, if you have, you will have heard this word. This is the word of the moment, disruption, because disruption is everywhere. We've had a fuel crisis. If you saw the BBC News the other week, I don't know where they found this reporter to report about a petrol crisis, but what a great name. <laughs> and he was in Stockport, even better. And we've been told that we face potential disruption. We face the disruption already of fuel. We face gas prices that are record high. We potentially face food shortages and all this other kind of things that we hear. And disruption sometimes can be very negative in life, can't it? If you were sat in a queue for petrol, you will think, I don't want to be here. I've got better things to do with my time than be disrupted at the petrol station. But disruption can also be positive. You're there at home doing the most boring of tasks and the doorbell rings. And it's a friend you've not seen for ages and you think, thank goodness for that. I have been disrupted and I can stop doing what I am doing. 
But this word disruption and the word that comes from it, being a disruptor, I don't know if you've heard that phrase used over recent years, but it's been quite a thing. And people are called disruptors who take on some kind of message that they think is important and try and agitate for change. There was a big disrupting movement in the States about bottled water. We've probably not registered this. But it was about getting sweetener out of flavoured water. It was a big movement of disruption. We've probably heard on the news this last week about Insulate Britain and this movement in this country to get homes insulated and people blocking motorways and the like. So this word disruption and being a disruptor is something that we see quite a lot about. So here's the question. Let's get rid of Phil McCann. Do you want to be a disruptor? Not for yourself, not for your own ends, but for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. Do you want to not only have your life disrupted by the gospel, but in turn to take that message of hope out to other people. So in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12. In Luke chapter 10, it's a slightly bigger group, the 72. But that initial group, these 12 apostles, these 12 disciples, they go with a very simple task, proclaim the coming kingdom. And it's it's accompanied by miracles. There are um, the driving out of all demons, all evil flees at the name of Jesus. And there is a healing of disease. Now, neither this mission nor the one in Luke chapter 10 are huge, strategically planned mission events. Now, that is not to say there is anything wrong with planning. You know, planning is a very spiritual activity. But in this case, Jesus just simply says, go. You're empowered. The Spirit is with you. Go and take this message into the towns and villages and proclaim it. People don't like it. Shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere where they'll listen. And keep going. Go and proclaim the message. But just think about this group of 12 who go with that message for a moment. They are a right mixed bag of people. Some of them are fishermen, tax collectors. One of them is a zealot. That's some kind of political revolutionary. One of them is a thief who will later betray Jesus. These are not your elite, elite trained missionaries. These are not people who have studied for many years to go out and do this. They are just people whose lives have been disrupted by the gospel and who then go out disrupting the communities around them with the good news of the coming kingdom. The message they would take would be very similar to what Jesus says at the beginning of Mark's gospel. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near, or the older translation, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. It's coming. The kingdom of God, that is when God's rule and reign starts in our hearts and lives. It's where we say yes to everything that God has for us. And it starts now, but it's not complete until Jesus returns in glory. Now, if you're joining with us on the tour, very soon we will realize that the gospel message, what Jesus teaches about, is not just to soothe and console us. You know, although Jesus will tell us of the great love that God has for us, he will challenge us to the core and disrupt our own sense of self. And are we open to that disruption of the kingdom? Are we open to that? Are we open? Because this message of repentance, the Greek word is metanoia. Now, we tend to think when I repent, it means saying sorry for things. Now, yeah, it does mean that. But repentance is so much more. This original word means a transformation of heart, a completely changed way of living. 
So it means saying no to all the kinds of things that we perhaps were doing that God doesn't want us to do. But it's also saying yes to a whole load of stuff that God does want us to do. And God does want us to be involved in. It's saying yes to God's message of holiness and hope and gospel. So as the 12 go out, they go out with this message. A disruptive message. It's not a message you can hear and do nothing about. You have to accept it or reject it. And they go with disruptive actions. Healing, driving out evil spirits. And Luke 9 is also a tipping point in the gospel. A few weeks ago, um, Nat and I went to watch Manchester City play the phenomenon that are Wickham Wanderers. And you'll be pleased to know I got some cheap tickets. That's why I went. And we we went to watch um, City. We went to the Etihad. And it was the first time in many months that I'd been in such a big crowd. And it takes a bit of getting used to, I think, when you're suddenly faced with 40,000, 50,000 people all cheering. But we got there, you know, I'm, I'm sat there next to Nat and we watched the game, which was a good game if you're a City fan. It was a 6-1 victory. Um, and Nat kept looking at me saying, Dad, you're too slow. When they score a goal, you have to cheer then, not like five seconds later. Um, so on goal seven for Manchester City, I thought, I've got this sorted. So I get up and cheer along with a few people. I wasn't only on my own. And Nat just looks at me, Dad, that was offside. You know, the withering look, you still can't even do this right. But as we watch sport, now it doesn't matter what sport we watch, whether it's football, whether you're a tennis fan, whether you're into golf, whether you like watching bowls, I don't know what it is, whatever sport it is, we watch as a spectator. And as a spectator, if you're anything like me, you find yourself commentating internally. And if somebody misses a goal, I find myself saying, I would have got that in. Now, I can miss an open goal without a goalie in there with a a, a staggering degree of reliability. But when I'm watching, I have the spectator's hat on. I could have got that goal in. I could have served an ace at that point in that match, whatever it is. And we take the role of the critiquing commentator. Up until this point in Luke's gospel, everything has been about the ministry of Jesus. We've had John the Baptist, yes, he's the forerunner. Then Jesus comes onto the scene. He starts proclaiming the coming kingdom. We get the miracles. We get the the driving out of demons. All kinds of things have happened. He's forgiven people. He's been routinely criticized by religious leaders. He's calmed a storm. And in the chapter before, he's even raised a girl from the dead. The first disciples at this point have had their lives disrupted by following Jesus, but they have not yet been the disruptor of other people's lives. They have been spectating, watching, learning, being at the feet of Jesus. And then the change comes in chapter 9 and again in chapter 10. First the 12 are sent, and then the 72 are sent out. And what we find here is that the gospel is always a call to both receive from God and then to go out in God's name. It's to both receive the good news of the coming kingdom and then be those who share the good news of the coming kingdom with other people. But oh, how easy it is to be a spectatorial, that's a good word, isn't it? Spectatorial Christian. To sit on the sidelines like me watching Man City and say, I would have got that goal in, when actually I wouldn't. And we critique and we sort of criticize, I suppose, what other Christian organizations, other Christians are doing. Now, one thing I've missed over the last 20 months has been going to conferences Um, I normally go to two or three sort of Christian conferences a year just for my own personal refreshment. 
Um, I am looking forward, hopefully, in January to going on the Fresh Streams conference and then the Ministers' conference a bit later on in the year. But one thing me and Claire do do periodically is go to other churches. And, you know, if we've got a Sunday off, just to go and receive and go and be blessed by other people. But put me in that position, and I think it's just human nature, I find myself becoming the spectator. So I'm sit there, and I'll, I'll turn to Claire and say, could you sing that second song? I couldn't pick up a tune in that second song. Or why didn't they, well, the preacher was okay, but why didn't they tackle verse 13? Verse 13, well, that's pivotal in that passage. What were they doing? Why did they skip over it? Call that coffee. That's not coffee. I don't know what it is, but it's not coffee. And we find ourselves just becoming the spectators. And church, rather than being a body that we belong to, becomes something that we come to and critique what is going on. It's often said that the Reformation, this, this great move of God that happened in the sort of 15th, 16th centuries, the likes of Luther and Calvin, who were sort of instrumental in that, that the Reformation gave us back the Word of God, which is absolutely true. Up until that point in the Middle Ages, the Word of God wasn't readily available to people. It was always in Latin. People couldn't read it for themselves. The, the interpretation was controlled by what was called the magisterium in Rome. They told you what to believe, and nobody could make decisions for themselves. The Reformation gave the Word of God back to the people. It was translated into our languages so we can read it, we can understand it, and we know what God is saying. But it's also sometimes said that the Reformation didn't go far enough because what it didn't really do was to challenge the priestly roles in the church. And so what continues to happen, and it happens to this day, is the church is something that we attend and are part of rather than viewing it as a family that we all get stuck in. And we all muck in, and we all serve, and we do this together. You see, the New Testament doesn't know of the roles of ministers, musicians, preachers, and pastors who do everything on behalf of everybody else. It knows of a body that comes together and says, let's get stuck in with this amazing ministry of sharing the good news. Let's do this together. Let's be part of this disruption for the kingdom of God. Are we up for being that kind of body of Christ? Where we're the priesthood of all believers. It's a really good Baptist phrase if you want to think Baptist-wise. The priesthood of all believers where we share in the ministry of Jesus. Not me, but all of us. Not one or two, but all of us. We share in it together. Now, over recent years, a lot has also been written about how as Christians, sometimes we, we do too much. Now, I do agree with that. We can be very good at doing and not very good at being. And there has to be the balance there. We, we are called to receive from God so that we can be a blessing to others. Back to that 1 Chronicles verse that, the verses that Claire read out at the start. We praise God. We are blessed by God in order to be a blessing to other people. If you get the chance this afternoon, get your Bible out and read Luke chapter 10, the, the account of Mary and Martha. Absolutely beautiful story. Jesus arrives at the house of Martha, and he goes there to stay. And he's there, and he comes in, and Martha is there fussing around. She's getting preparations ready. You can imagine her baking bread or cooking food or getting somewhere to, for Jesus to sleep and rest ready. What does Mary do? Much to Martha's annoyance, she sits there and listens to him while her sister is scurrying around. Now, the danger in our Christian lives is that we either become the one who sits there just receiving or the one who is scurrying around, so much scurrying that we're not actually receiving at all. The Bible doesn't polarize those things. It's a both and. We receive to give. 
we receive to bless others. I wonder whether you're falling into a trap of being a Martha or a Mary today. So let me read a couple of verses from Luke chapter 10. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You see, when we receive from Jesus, we have something to offer. When we receive from him, we have something to give. When we are equipped, we can be disruptors for the kingdom of God. So as we look at our world today with its growing fractiousness, with the growing disruptions on a local and international level, the deepening sense of crisis, pandemic, we see climate change, we see all these things affecting people. We see a world that is in need of disruption. It's not in need of human answers. They don't work. We've seen that over many, many years. But it's in need of the good news of the kingdom of God. It's in need of the good news of the hope that Jesus, who has died and been raised from the death, comes, offers forgiveness, eternity, and hope. That is the disruption that our society needs. Are you open for that kind of disruption in our lives? That we have to say yes to this coming kingdom, and we have to be disrupted by God, but then to be available to be disruptors in our world today. Now, here's the thing. It's great to say yes to this. You know, amen, Jesus. You know, send me out with the 72. And then to go home and think, well, what on earth does that mean? You know, what do you want me to do, Jesus? Do you want me to take no rucksack, just go wandering around the villages of Cheshire this afternoon, you know, preaching on the street corners and whatever? And then we think, well, I can't do that. That's culturally doesn't make sense. And it's what, what am I meant to do with this? I want to suggest three very simple things that we can do. And they're on the screen there. Be disruption, dis- people of disruption in our prayer life. The first thing that any Christian, any church, any Christian organization that is serious about kingdom ministry needs to be our people of prayer. We heard that from Arthur, didn't we, about prison ministries. You know, it has to be rooted in prayer. When we look at the history of the church, you look at the Wesleyan revivals or the Hebridean revivals, when we look at the ministry of Oasis or whatever it might be, these are things that are birthed in prayer and underpinned by prayer. Now, the good thing is with prayer, you can do it anywhere. You can do it anywhere. You can pray if you're sat at home. If you're mostly at home at the moment, you can continue to pray. You can be a disruptor in the heavenly realms by praying, by seeking God's heart for our areas, by seeking God's heart for people. Disruption is partnering with what God is already doing. Sorry, then there's disruption and service. We've already heard this morning of some needs in our own church family. Now, you may be thinking, well, it doesn't really sound like there's a lot of link between the sending out of the 12 and making a brew after a service. You know, making a brew seems pretty small fry compared to going out healing diseases and driving out demons as you go from village to village. But you see, in God's economy, there is no hierarchy of what God will use. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off really small, and God does amazing things with the small things that we give him. He takes whatever it is we can offer, and he uses it for his purposes. Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus says this, and there are some people who are asking Jesus, what did we do for you? And it says, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If we're available for acts of service, then actually God will use those things to disrupt for his purposes. God will use them. We might not see what God is doing, but sending a simple text to a friend, giving somebody a phone call, serving in the life of our church here, God will use it all if it's done for his glory. And then the third thing, disruption and calling. Now, we're all called to pray. I believe every Christian needs to be a prayer. I think that is right the way through Scripture. We are called to be people of prayer. We're also called to serve one another. That is also, all these one-anothering verses in the Bible are all about that sort of thing. But there are also specific callings that God places on our lives. I don't know today if you know what God has called you to do specifically. I don't know if you, if you have any sense of what that might be. It may be that actually God is calling you to do something that is going to be very disruptive to your life. It is going to involve a lot of change. It might involve saying, actually, yeah, that, that, that niggle that I've needed to be getting involved with youth work, or that niggle that actually I need to be going and, and helping with, with the hideaway or with Oasis or whatever it might be, that niggle that actually God is stirring me, that we need to respond to it. Do we want to be those kind of disruptors for the kingdom? Are we open to be sent out with the 12 and the 72 to go and be a blessing to others? In a moment, we're, we're going to sing um, what is quite an old hymn that's all to Jesus, I surrender. You see, it starts there, doesn't it? It starts when we say yes to Jesus. When we say yes to his disruption and say, Lord, help me be the kind of person you want me to be. Can I pray for us? And then our music team will lead us. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal those who were ill. Lord, we just pray that we will be open to be your sent people. Lord, help us to just have a fresh vision of what your good news is all about. Lord, where we get sidetracked, where we try and do things in our own strength, bring us back to you. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to partner with you. We just pray that you will help us to be obedient to your call. Help us to surrender our all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.